0: Welcome to the Family Brain with your host, Megan Gibson. The
1: well being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy.
2: Welcome to the Family Brain. Today I'll be talking with Dr. Denise Pope, a Stanford graduate school of education lecturer, and the author of two books. Her first book was Doing School, How We Are Creating a Generation of Stressed-Out, Materialistic, and Miseducated Students, and her more recent book was Overloaded and Underprepared, Strategies for Stronger Schools and Healthy, Successful Kids. I was put in touch with Denise by a friend who had Denise speak at her school, and I was excited to talk to her about her views on kids, and I know I can be a little intense with what I want for my kids, and I think we all want the best for our kids, and so I know personally I can get a little overzealous in wanting to give them every opportunity to the point where I think it's actually doing them some harm. We're running around, overscheduling ourselves, and sort of missing some of the important life lessons. Um, I think in the podcast, I end up t- telling her this story, but we had a weekend recently where all of our soccer games were canceled due to rain. And it was just so relaxing. And I ended up teaching my kids how to make eggs. And I think usually I'm just like, no, you're not going to do it. We, we got to go. I'll do it. Just sit down and I'll bring it to you. But they're so proud of themselves. They just brought me eggs, an egg sandwich for mother's day. And I had breakfast in bed. So It was just one of those teachable moments for me where I realized I'm kind of, I think I just can get ahead of myself sometimes in in, uh, wanting my kids to have everything, but then sometimes missing the point. Um, So Denise uh, was amazing and I love all that she has to share. So I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Hi Megan, it's Denise.
2: Hi, how are you?
1: I'm good. I have a little allergy-driven so here, so okay. I'm glad to know that you can edit. <laughs> yes, I know. It
2: helps a lot. It kind of takes some of the pressure off. It
1: does. It
2: does. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I'm really excited yeah, um, sure. to no, hear excited. what you have to share. And I guess one of my first questions is, I know you are a professor at Stanford Graduate School of Education, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what got you to your current research about schools. What, what was sort of the path that got you interested in the work you're doing now?
1: Sure. And also, just for clarification, I'm a senior lecturer. Oh, excuse me. And okay. It, it's a little different. So. <clears throat> so this really started with my dissertation when I was in graduate school. I was looking for evidence of schools that we would consider sort of high achieving, what was working. And in particular, I was studying the phenomenon of student engagement. And I went and shadowed five high school kids for the course of a full year from September to June. It's called an ethnography. It's a type of dissertation. It's a type of research where I shadowed these kids, one kid each day, and I would go to all of their classes with them. I would go to all of their extracurricular activities with them. Um, I would go home and type up field notes. They would go home and do homework and... We were all, you know, this was like 10 o'clock at night at that point. And I did it over the course of a year, and these were all kids who the school had basically said to me they're very engaged, they're, they all had fairly high grade point averages, and they thought they would be good kids to study to kind of figure out what was working, what are some policies and practices that work in schools. And unfortunately, what I found, and what the kids basically called Um, the title of the dissertation, which became a book, is that kids were doing school. And that means that they were getting good grades, um, but they were really doing a lot of game playing, a lot of sort of cutting corners, a lot of just literally do whatever you do to survive the crazy pace of the day and uh, not really learning and engaging in the material in the way we wanted to. And on top of that, they were stressed, they were sleep deprived, they were cheating, um, basically anything to get the grades. So it was a type of engagement, an engagement in sort of a negative engagement, right. um, yeah. but it's not the type of engagement that I was and hoping to find, and I was very surprised to see the real effects on their health and well-being. Wow.
2: And these are the kids that the school pointed out as somebody who was doing things well, like from their exactly. point of view, before you got sort of down underneath everything.
1: Right. Okay. I mean, they look great on paper, right? This right. is the star athlete who has a high GPA. This is a kid who's involved with student council. There's another kid who was a, um, a thespian and involved in lots and lots of things around visual performing arts. And they all looked like they were just doing great. Mm-hmm. But if you scratch the surface, you saw ulcers and headaches and stress and eating disorders and cheating and, um, really a lack of joy Mm -hmm. around learning.
2: I feel like there's more talk around that even now with adults, with, you know, the surface that people present on social media and what you can present versus what is sometimes going on behind the scenes. Um,
1: It it sounds similar. Exactly. I think, I think, you know, don't judge a book by its cover is is very apt in today's world and, um... Nobody lives in that happy, happy, like, like, like kind of thing. And, and even the kids as I was following them basically said, you know, I'll raise my hand every five minutes or so just to look like I did the reading, but I didn't have time to do the reading last night. Mm-hmm. So even to a teacher who, you know, I would kind of use hand raising as a sign of engagement. I started to question, wow, maybe that's not even a sign of engagement, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the center for disease control uses GPA as a sign of health, and we're trying to say, you know what, we can have kids with straight A's who are really, really not healthy, Mm -hmm. so let's not use GPA as a sign of health anymore.
2: Yeah. It reminds me, I just did an interview with someone about um, a doctor who runs an eating disorder clinic, and she was saying something similar about um, doctors or people using weight (laughs) as a sign of health, like, oh, they look thin or they look fit, and Uh so they must be healthy. You know, and that that's a big problem also. And it's, it's interesting. It's sort of the, the emotional um, way of talking about this, if that makes sense. I don't know. It just sounds right. similar to me.
1: Right. No, no. Those are very, very similar. Um, and, 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 it, and honestly, disorders is connection to perfectionism. It's a connection to um, I can't control anything else in my life, so I'll, I'll uber control my, my eating. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so there's a, there's a, definitely a connection between academic pressure, physical health and mental health. Mm -hmm.
2: So can you tell me a little bit about, um, this organization that you co-founded called Challenge Success and just what the goals are. So,
1: So Challenge Success began after I wrote the book, the dissertation, which was the book, um, I got called into the, uh, health office at Stanford University, and they said, look, we've got kids who are the aftermath of your book. We've we've got these really high-achieving kids, but they don't have positive coping strategies. Um, They're coming to us for anxiety and depression and and ulcers and eating disorders, and um, we want you to think about an intervention. And it's, by the way, not just Stanford. It's all over higher education. And I said, okay, let's, Mm -hmm. let's Let's think let's this through, but we realized that that it would make more sense, given my background with K-12 education, not to have the intervention at the college level, although I do work on some interventions at Stanford, but to really start this early on. So Challenge Success partners with schools and um, families and communities, and we basically present research-based strategies to improve the health and well-being of kids, and to really expand this limited definition of success that you have to get the grades and the test scores to get into a certain college to be a success in life. And that, we found, was really driving a lot of these behaviors that were really not healthy. Do you want to know some details about what we do? Well,
2: sure. (laughs) Well, one of the things I found interesting was, um, and I'm not sure if this was from Challenge Success or from your book, but you were talking about how... Um, when you talk to parents or adults, they might tell you that their main objectives or their main hopes for the young people in their lives, their students, their children are, you know, being empathetic, being honest, being um, reliable. But yet a lot of the behaviors and messages they were sending the kids were different.
1: Exactly. So we If you, when I start out, um, most of my talks, I ask parents what they want for their kids, and it's exactly what you said: happy, healthy, give back to society, empathetic, ethical. And if you do the same experiment where you ask kids, what, how do they define success? They will say money. They will say where you go to college, grades, test scores, really extrinsic things versus the intrinsic things that the parents have said. And you, and sometimes it's literally the same kids, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll talk to the kids and then I'll talk to the parents. So the kids are getting messages that this is how you define success and this is what's important to the parent. And part of that is just, very I have three kids. I, I, it's a very well-meaning thing to when they walk in the door, say, hey, how'd the history test go? You know, know, what'd you get on the history test? That kind of messaging is saying the most important thing that could have happened to them during that whole day Mm -hmm. at school is boiled down to a grade on a test. Right. And over and over again, you know, uh, let's get tutors for, you know, to bring that grade up. Let's, uh, focus on SATs and ACTs, you know, let uh, parents wear their college sweatshirts around the house and there's an expectation, it's not necessarily said out loud, but mm-hmm. that the kids will go to that college or a college of that same caliber. Right. So we're sending messages all day long that maybe we don't even realize. Or you post the the report card on the refrigerator, mm-hmm. right? But you're not posting you know, the fact that they um, helped the old lady walk across the street on the refrigerator, right? What what are you, what are you messaging um, and what does that say about what you value?
2: Right. What kind of things do we take the time to celebrate and what are the things that we just kind of assume are going to happen?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Well, one of the questions I had, I do want to hear about the specifics from the um, Challenge Success, but one of the questions I was just curious about from your work, is what do you think has gotten us to this point? Where has this always been going on where we've had this intensity that we've kind of had to have to push back against? Or is this a newer phenomenon? Or is it only in certain places? And is it more of a sort of prestigious problem to have? I'm just curious what you've seen.
1: Those are great questions. So, if you look, there's a couple of things that have been going on. Over the past several decades, that have led to this phenomenon to be much more widespread. You've always had um, immigrants, even in you know coming coming across the ocean, you know, in 1900, who have valued education and seen education as a way out of poverty, and put some pressure on um, their kids to do well and you know sort of do better than than mom and dad mm-hmm. in that sense. Um, over time, we have had more kids going to college, which is a good thing, more kids applying to college, a sense that you do need to go to college now um, uh, in order to make enough money to be successful, and certain things have been happening around college admission with the common application, etc., that make it um, a lot of people are applying to schools that in the past, if you had a pretty good GPA, you had a pretty safe bet that you would get into, let's say, the University of California schools. Okay. Um, And now, because of the numbers um, and because of how they do things, it's nowhere guaranteed that you will get into UCLA or Berkeley or Santa Barbara or San Diego with a, a relatively high GPA. That's not to scare people. There are many, many, many great universities and colleges that you will get into. But we have the majority of these people kind of applying to these top elite schools, and those schools haven't expanded the ability to take more people. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be more selective.
2: Right. I didn't know. That's, I don't have yeah. kids near college ap- application age. However, I do interview some kids that are applying to the college I went to. And so I didn't know about this common, what is it? What did you call it? Common a, core? Common app.
1: Common, common app. app. A common application. Yeah. yeah.
2: All the parents were talking about it this year and how it's really a challenge because I guess with a touch of a button, you can kind of apply to all these different places and the schools don't necessarily know if you're really interested or not. Anyway. Exactly.
1: And you're only going to go to one. Right. Right. So, you know, when someone applies to... 12, 20, Mm -hmm. Um, the most I heard recently was 40, which is unbelievable. Yes. Um, Think of the money spent on that alone. These things are not free, right? And you're only gonna go to one. And so what happens is, let's say you get into the kid who applied to 40 got into like 30, right? Then you're taking up someone else's slot mm-hmm. until you, so that they then have to go to the wait list, et cetera. So college and college admissions is one factor, but it's not the only factor okay. that's really pushed this. So the other thing that's been happening over several decades is school accountability and school testing and No Child Left Behind and Common Core and um, ESSA and 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 what that has done, um, again, really well meaning. Not a, bit. it's great that more people are going to college. It's great that. Uh, we're taking a deeper look at what kids are actually learning in schools. But when you put that kind of pressure on standardized tests, there's pressure on teachers to cover certain things that are being tested. And so the typical curriculum has really expanded. You might hear like kindergarten is now more like first grade of the past, right? Yes. Um, there's I um, have a child in
2: kindergarten grade. right now, okay. so, so I know well what that. you speak of. Yes. Yeah
1: did not learn how to read or not be a proficient reader until second grade in the past or so and you know everyone kind of reads at their own time now we have schools where they will not send a non-reading kindergarten on to first grade because you're going to take the standardized test and you know, if they can't read it they can't do well so so the pressure between that there's been a proliferation of advanced placement courses and this idea that you have to take an AP uh, 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 you have to take a schedule full of APs in order to get into um, selective colleges. It's added to sort of an academic frequency along with the college admissions. That combined with the proliferation of extracurricular activities available to our kids. Mm-hmm. So when you and I were growing up, you, I, I mean, I it was I could maybe I knew one person participating in a club sport, ice skating, right. and they would go before school. But now you play. Basketball for your high school, but you also play club basketball, and you have to play a sport every season. And you might go to coding club and model mm-hmm. United Nations. And, and none of us—it maybe those things existed in the past. Some of them didn't, but none of us tried to do more than one or two things. No, I mean, we were lucky know, if
2: we got yeah. one, right. and we had to really, really want to do that one thing. We had right. to like pretty exactly. much prove the case. Yeah,
1: exactly. And now it's. Very common for kids to do something after school every single day Mm -hmm. and not get home till fairly late and are juggling. So in our survey, the um, we have the average is sort of a typical two hours of extracurriculars after school. But we've got kids doing in the high school about 35 hours of extracurriculars Monday through Friday. They're getting up and doing stuff before. You know, they're rowing. They're, they're swimming, they're ice skating, whatever it is, before school, during school, they might be doing some things after school, extracurricular activities. They might get home at 10 o'clock at night and then start their homework. Wow. With all the pressure now for the academic achievement and the standardized tests and the APs, it's not the same of as when we were growing up.
2: So all of this conversation is kind of stressing me out. So that's why... <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, no, and I didn't even
2: talk about social media. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. But we should no, t- I don't want to stress you out. No, you should, but I guess I can understand why kids and parents start to feel worried. You know, you get all this information and then you kind of maybe feel, well, what do I do then? What are the.
1: Exactly.
2: Sorry. Exactly.
1: And and, and, is, and is my kid going to be left out or am I closing doors mm-hmm. by not signing them up for soccer when they're five? Right. You know, you probably feel this already with your, young, your youngsters. Um, so what, did, what do we do? So Challenge Success really does provide the research to show you how you know how to make some of those decisions, where, are some of the, um, where you should draw the line when it comes to extracurriculars or um, how many AP courses your kids should take or when um, you start with social media and giving them a phone and what those rules should be in your house. And we help kind of parents navigate this new world. You know, we also work with schools. We do research. Well, I guess
2: one of the things that I'm thinking is just first, how do people engage you? What what are the schools that you're looking for? Do schools come and find you? Or do you identify schools that could, like, do you knock on their door and say, you look like you have a population (laughs) that could use some help? How do people (laughs) sort of get started first?
1: So that's a good question. So for for families and parents, people can just go to our website. We have a ton of resources on the website. Oh, on, good. You know, list how much sleep does a third grader need, or okay. how much, um, you know, is it okay to let my high school son play violent video games or whatever? So we right. we have a bunch of stuff on our website. We have.
2: Is there a Fortnite section of how to yeah, deal with well, Fortnite? I actually, just did that was my <laughs> interview right before you. Oh no way! I on Fortnite. I oh.
1: Yeah, that's a really. How do you know about that? Your kids are too young. Yeah. No, I have a ten-year-old.
2: He just <laughs> oh. just started. Yeah, I have 10, 8, and uh, six. Are my kids' okay. ages? Oh, yeah. So you're yeah
1: you're, mm-hmm. you're totally there with the extracurriculars. Yes, me?
2: we are. We're in the car um, a lot.
1: Yeah. So so for families, they can go to our website. We have a lot of free resources. We have white papers on homework and APs and cheating, and we have one coming out in the fall on college admissions that just ties all the research together and and we do the hard work instead of you having to do it. Right. We'll, we'll put it all together so that it's a resource for parents. Oh, great. And I can
2: put a link for the website up um, on the show notes, but if you could just tell people what the website is right now, that'd be great.
1: Sure. It's www.challengesuccess.org. Okay, great. So for schools, um, we we really it, it really happens kind of by word of mouth we start, this is our 15th year and we have basically been full almost every year with schools coming to us and then it sort of spreads around so if a certain public school you know we have a, we actually have some, um, one school in san antonio but huh. we have several schools in texas now we've kind of taken over the uh, some you know the, the dallas area and the houston area More so, but we've got public and private schools who come to us, and in order to work with us, they have to send a team. The team has to have multiple stakeholders on it. The principal, teachers, parents, students have to be part of the team, and they come and work with us. They come to a conference in the fall, and then we give them a coach because we know that every school is different. What's kind of unique about Challenge Success is we have public schools, charter schools, independent schools, and they're all in the same mix. They may have very similar problems, Um, and so we help them. We kind of match them up, and they work together to solve some problems, but we don't have a one-size-fits-all rule. So your school, where your kids go, it might be very different from the elementary school down the street and need to be working on different issues that are causing academic stress and engagement issues at the school.
2: And that was one of the things I thought was interesting when I watched um, a video where you were interviewed talking about how there was a school that you had worked with and the administration was on board about, I think the example was cutting back on homework, but then parents were going and buying workbooks because they didn't think enough work was coming home. So I can see how it needs to be a message that needs to come from different angles and not just from the administration.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Very frustrating. We we were so happy to get the administration on board to reduce homework load, especially you know busy work. Mm -hmm. Um, Given the research on homework in elementary school, in particular, there's really not a relationship between homework in elementary school and academic achievement, with the exception of reading and particularly reading for pleasure. So when we got the schools to cut back, we were really excited, and the principal called and said listen, our parents are buying workbooks to supplement this, so right. it's defeating the purpose. And I said, ah, everyone's got to be part of the conversation. Everyone's part of the problem. Everyone's got to be part of the solution. We have to do some serious parent education. And we actually have now a, a homework workshop online. Anyone can click on it, and I think it's like you know $19 on Vimeo. And you can learn sort of what your role is as a parent, and we have a corresponding workshop for the teachers so that they understand the research as well.
2: So what were some of the things that you have found that have been the most useful in putting into schools or in, in changes that need to be made? I mean, I guess there's there's some schools, I would think that it, the motivation is more of the issue. And in some schools, the maybe overly motivated is the issue. But what in general are some of the things that you find to be helpful or, or maybe mistakes that parents, teachers are making that that we could change?
1: So I'm going to run you through what we call the space framework, which is S S P A C E. We based it on services for schools. And these are schools, the research is with kids who are high socioeconomic status, low socioeconomic status, kind of all over, right? The research holds for all kids, all kids need this. Mm -hmm. And the S stands for students use of, um, Sorry, the S stands for Student Schedule and Use of Time. And that's both during the day. So what? how often do they have breaks? How often do they have recess? Um, how long are the classes at the high school and middle school level? Are you you know, running around like a chicken with your head cut off every 42 minutes, right, and trying to make it through a five-minute passing period? So that's part of the S for schedule. But also students' use of time outside of school, their homework, how much homework are they getting, as we talked about. Um, how often do they have tests and quizzes, and also a late start. It turns out that it's really important for kids to get sleep, and our current school system for our older kids is not actually abiding by the the fact that they are um, more nocturnal, right? That they they need to sleep in, that Mm -hmm. they're not fully awake at the time that our school starts or at the time that they have to get up to get on the bus. So that's the F. Okay. The P is project and problem-based learning. And um, you see probably more of this at the elementary school, but we need to see project and problem-based learning go all college, et cetera. It's really based on how the new work world is one where you are collaborating and you're using a bunch of resources. And um, our schools typically tend to be sort of lecture and then take a test and move on. Mm -hmm. And that's really not what we know from all the research in education and neuroscience, how people learn and particularly how people retain information, okay. and they're not getting the skills they need. The, the A is alternative forms of assessment. Okay. So I, I don't know if your kids have grades in elementary school yet. They, uh, they do. They do. Yes. So, you know, once you start introducing grades, it really shifts the learning. Mm-hmm. Um, now kids, instead of doing it for the love of learning, like you see in kindergarten, they're doing it to, to get the grade often. Mm-hmm. And so we're having um, schools really examine how they use grades. Are they building in um, an ability for revision, redemption, um, really looking at um, alternative use of grades? And there's some cool things on the horizon that we can talk about if you're interested, um, sort of how that's changing nationally. Sure. The C is a climate of care. That's probably the most important thing. If a kid doesn't feel cared for, that the person, there's an adult at the school who knows him, who has his back, that um, they have to feel safe, mm-hmm. this is this is really key, and this is where schools can work on social and emotional learning, they can have curricula that talks about positive coping strategies, or mindfulness, or yoga, anything to make sure that kids Know how to be healthy and take care of themselves, but also how to deal with the inevitable stressors that they're going to face in life. Um, and they to have me, to that, feel that the teachers care about them. Yeah, yeah,
2: and that to me goes hand in hand with this idea of feeling—I mean, feeling cared for and feeling like it's a safe place to make your mistakes. It seems like sometimes there's this idea that that kids should already know all of these things. That that mistakes are not okay.
1: Right, and I, I don't know why. Would know that because right. it's not, you know, parent. I, I mean, this is tied to sort of helicopter parenting, too, where if we're doing all these things for our kids and not letting them be independent, um, even to the point of asking them to do chores or allowing them to, you know, walk down the street to see a friend or, you know, basic, basic things, they're really not getting it at home, all the more so to them really focus on it in addition at school. Right. And then the last one in space is E, which stands for educating the whole community. And, you know, just basic things like everyone needs a 10-year-old needs versus a Mm 16-year-old. Everyone needs to understand what the research says about, you know, um, appropriate uh, use of of social media, etc. So really making sure everyone's on the same page, the parents, the teachers, the kids understanding what best practices are and, and what they need to be healthy.
2: Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, I it, I will say it's hard to keep up. That's where I'm thankful that there's an organization like this that maybe is doing some of that heavy lifting in terms of figuring out what the research is saying. Because right. it's very easy to talk to people in your circle and sort of take a poll. Well, what are you doing? I don't know. What are you doing? You know, and it doesn't mean that it's necessarily the best practice just because your friends are doing the same thing, you know?
1: Right. It's like yeah. sometimes the blind meeting the blind. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's actually where the negative competition comes in. Like, what do you mean you're not signing up for the the serious soccer team instead of right. like the fun soccer team? You got you to gotta be on the travel soccer team by the time you're 15, so you got to start early, you know. Right. That's where a lot of misconceptions come in.
2: Yeah, I've had um, to start telling people yeah. that my mental health cannot tolerate, you know, X, Y, and Z. Like, I yeah. kind of am knowing my own parameters a little better and – are pretty limited, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> much, limited, yeah.
1: But especially between. I have three kids as well. I mean, it, even I say to people, just because you can physically get everyone where they need to be does not make it a healthy schedule for the family or for the individuals in the family. Right. Um, so, and it takes, by the way, constant vigilance, right? Each year, you're signing up for new things. You're signing up for new courses. Mm-hmm. You're signing up for a new sports season, really constantly Asking yourself, is this best for the family? Are we able to find the balance that we need? We, we actually have a mnemonic aid at Challenge Success called PDF. Okay. And it, and it stands for playtime, downtime, family time. Every kid, the research will show, needs PDF every day. Playtime, meaning free play, not extracurriculars, but freely chosen play, right? Um, and how do you protect that? as a parent. That means you don't overschedule your kids. That means you tell them to go outside and play with friends in the neighborhood. That means you tell them to, you know, go go outside and shoot hoops and um, do make-believe games and whatnot. And and that's something that we see is really overlooked in this overscheduled society right now. And, and play is enormously important because that's where they're learning all of these interpersonal skills, right, is through play. Mm-hmm. Um, without an adult guiding every Every step they take.
2: Well, and what's interesting to me, and one just from observation, is it seems that um, a lot of parents don't feel comfortable with that. It's, it's not always easy to come by children interacting with other children without someone hovering.
1: Absolutely. I mean, what was really interesting when my kids were growing up, and we, I tell this story when I do talks, is we had a group of parents, and we all agreed that we wouldn't sign our kids up for things on Mondays. And on Mondays, we took them to the park, and our pediatrician, we happen to have the same pediatrician, said to us, don't intervene unless you see blood. I like that. Right? Like, yeah. Don't let, let them, you know, someone complain, someone says not playing by the rules, go work it out. Because mm-hmm. when adults step in, you're actually preventing a really important learning that comes from free play. Right. And from negotiating and turn-taking and problem-solving, right? Right. And it's no wonder that you then have these 15-, 16-, 17-year-olds who don't know how to solve their own problems. Right. Or they get to Stanford and they don't know how to solve their own problems because they never really had to. Right. So as hard as it is for an adult to see your child in pain or get treated unfairly, right, you, you do have to allow a little bit of that because that's how you learn. Right. Um, at, like you said, to value value mistakes and value-making mistakes. So the, the P in PDF is really important playtime and then the D the downtime is really important it is so hard to go to school all day and keep it together and not poke your friends and you know as you get older um, to, to navigate the social norms of how you're supposed to talk and act and be as mm-hmm. a middle schooler and we throw them right in the car you know throw the Gatorade and the goldfish in the backseat of the minivan and say put on your cleats so right now we're off to soccer mm-hmm. without any real transition time and and then they don't get enough sleep because they're overscheduled and they have to do homework and they're, they're exhausted. So downtime, the sleep, the, the time to have some time for reflection. I, one of the kids' most important jobs is to actually think about the kind of person they want to be to form their identity and to have a healthy break with the adults in their lives. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we don't give them the time to do that, we're really denying them <clears throat> an important protective factor. And we do want them to know how to handle stress and have some positive coping strategies. So part of that downtime is, you know, what do you do when you're stressed? Do you go for a run? Do you do, you do breathing? Do you do yoga? Do you take a shower? Do you know, you know, are you reading for pleasure? Are mm-hmm. you tinkering on the guitar for fun and not because you have a guitar recycle in two weeks? All of those things factor into downtime. Right. And then family time, just to say what the research says, really want the whole family together about five times a week for about 20 to 25 minutes um, duration, and so a lot of times that happens over family meals, and, and they, this, these are known to be protective factors, too. They protect kids. They're really It's really hard to fall through the cracks when you've got the whole family checking in five times a week, mm-hmm. so I know that's hard for people. We say start small. Start with one once or twice if, if family meals is not your norm. to think about when you might do that Weekends count you know family games family walks even family movie time is fine as long as there's some talking and conversation Mm -hmm. right so the more you can um, really check in with your kids and and try to build a constant check-in
2: time right
1: um the healthier they'll be
2: well and one of the things i go back and (sighs) forth about is it seems like i want kids to be playing my kids to be playing with other kids however on the weekends that's really our family time and so I kind of have been trying to protect that time as just our time instead of going and having a sleepover or being gone all day because the week they're with their friends all day at school I don't know what is there any guidance on that
1: well yes and no right so yes they're with their friends all day in school but there's not that time to really socialize and play so if you can think of the weekend, and I love that you want to prioritize family time on the weekend, and I think that's really, really important. If you think of parts of either after-school time or weekend time as time to be a little social, I think that's also important. Um, face-to-face social, as okay. opposed to what's going to start to happen as your kids get older, um, is the older kids translate that social time into social media time, and we have kids who aren't going out; mm-hmm. they're not social, anymore, right. right? So. I'm not a big fan of sleepovers at an early age only because you don't really sleep and sleep is so important. Right. Um, so I used to be the, the bad mom that would never let my kids do a sleepover. I'll pick them up at bedtime. Yes. I so can do all that fun stuff. But, and now my kids are older and they'll, they turn the sleepovers down, you know, no, 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 I'm, I'm going off. Right. Um, sleep is really important. So, um, you know, there's some wonderful things about sleepovers, but they really do impact sleep. Um, everyone says, "Oh no, 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 we'll sleep, we'll sleep."
2: Oh, matter. I know. We and I, I mean the parents have to fall asleep. We had a sleepover here the other day, and um, they snuck uh, a device into the bedroom in the middle of the night, and I'm asleep. I mean, I can't stay up all night. <laughs> No, no. Yeah.
1: It's, and this is why it's so important to have devices out of the bedroom. Yes. Uh, yeah. it's so I love how you said snuck because that means there's a policy that it doesn't belong. I know. That's a really important policy to yeah. keep, keep keep all the way up. You know, developmental stages. You want those devices out of the bedroom as much as possible. If they're doing homework on a device, which is what's going to start to happen as they get into middle and uh, high school, maybe even upper elementary, they have, and they need to be in their room because that's their quiet space. They need to keep the door open so you can go in at any time and see if they're, you know, trying to multitask and toggle between texting friends and doing homework, which Mm -hmm. is going to be much less efficient and effective.
2: Yeah, it's a lot to keep track of, but I do, I think it's, yeah, and it's a work in progress. I mean, I think that kind of goes back to um, taking a taking it easy on ourselves as parents and also taking it easy on, not taking it easy, but just kind of understanding that we are also works in progress as parents. And okay, what could I do differently next time to have that go a little bit better, you know, and that the child is not always going to make the best choice. And how do we help them make a better choice next time?
1: Exactly. And we, Brad Sachs, who's on our advisory board, um, has a book, The Good Enough Parent and the Good Enough Child, right? Mm I mean, that, that, Absolutely, and I am not a perfect parent, and I study this stuff all day long, right? right? And my kids will be the first to tell you that. Mm -hmm. We are striving to meet what the research shows is beneficial for kids. Um, We're kind of doing a gut check at the same time. You know, you read a book, and you're like, I don't think that's going to work in my family. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you have to do what's right for your kids. You know, you you are the expert here. But, But I think that parents are so afraid to make a mistake, certainly in areas around academics, that they um, they don't see the forest for the trees, mm-hmm. and we call the big picture in mind, that you're not after the healthy 17-year-old, you're after the happy, healthy 35-year-old, 45-year-old, you know, 50-year-old. And that starts now with you giving them responsibility and making sure they understand how to make good choices mm-hmm. and one way you learn how to make the choices is like you said, to make some bad choices. Right, right. And, you
2: know? Yeah. And it goes for all of us. Well, I noticed <laughs> right. this weekend we had a we were supposed to have a bunch of soccer tournaments and they got rained out. And so we were just home and we were like, wow, we have a lot of I had two kids in full soccer tournaments. And I taught the kids how to make eggs. And they've been making a bunch of eggs. And it's very exciting. And I'm like, it makes it's a check for me to realize sometimes we're just so busy. You know, usually I think I would say, No, I'll just make that because we gotta go. You know? Right. And um, just okay. to have that time to give them a skill, a new skill.
1: Right. And it does take time. They have to learn mm-hmm. to practice. Even when they're little kids, right? Let me, mommy's going to put your shoes on because we're Right, like, right. Well, at some point, they have to learn how to put their shoes on. Right. means you've got to build in more time and space for that kind of really important learning to go on.
2: Yes. I do need to work on the tying the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: hard. Oh. it's hard, especially when you're, you know, two working parents and whatnot. It's, It's hard. It's a lot. Well,
2: the pediatrician told me, too, that there's so many new options, too, with shoe closures that that we didn't used to have. And so there's a lot of kids that are sort of delayed in that space. So anyway, somehow that gave me comfort. The the, the
1: Velcro versus the the tie. Right. I know. For sure. For sure.
2: Well, one of the things that I um, like to talk to people about on the show, on the family brain, is just self-care. And it sort of ties in with what we've been talking about. And I was wondering, as you focus on helping other people keep their families healthy, what's a practice that you take for yourself to keep yourself healthy and keep self care going for yourself?
1: I think that's a really, really important question. That that um, Madeline Levine always says, you know, put put do it like the airplanes, put your own mask on first, yes. right? And um, and we also know that. If you are a very stressed out parent, there is a much higher likelihood that your kids will be stressed out. Mm-hmm. So, and now it's like, oh, now I'm stressed and I'm stressed. Right. right. And, I'm and I kind of came that way.
2: I think I just came <laughs> that way. I think God put me together in that way and I'm working Some on of it. Some
1: are like that. It's yeah. It's good to know it and it's good to work on it. And um, so my husband and I um, both have pretty high power jobs, but we... Um, have a role that when when possible, it's only one night out a week, mm-hmm. so that we really can have family time. And and that let me tell you has changed my life. Um, what it also means is I'm not going to a lot of book clubs or you know mom night outs or whatever, which is not ideal. But we're really making fi- family the priority. If mm-hmm. I have a if I have to be at a board meeting, you know, one night, then I won't take any other gigs that week or whatnot. And so we're very very careful about preserving family time, but I'm also really careful about taking time for myself in terms of exercising or walking, um, um, self-care. I, our whole house is dark by 10.30. We All of us get the sleep we need, even as adults. It's mm-hmm. a very rare thing that we um, any of us are sleep deprived in this house because we know how important that is. Um, and... Um, and I would say a really healthy sense of humor, right? Like, okay, dinner did not go perfectly. Right. You know, whatever. We're just gonna order pizza and call it a day. Like, right. don't don't beat yourself up. Um, um, don't try to be the perfect parent. It's okay to you know order in, or I, I don't know. People have these like these visions of June Cleaver and how to be the mm-hmm. perfect wife and the perfect mom and whatnot and you know it's okay to buy um, store-bought goods on you know the day that your kid is supposed to bring the cupcakes that like don't I see these parents just going way overboard on things where they're really not keeping the big picture in mind right it might have been way better to spend time with your kids than like perfect the you know red velvet cupcakes for, for the party the next day
2: Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think sometimes that there can almost be like toxic relationships where, you know, either the person either that's what they really love to do. You know, if you love to make red velvet cupcakes, and that's your thing, and that's what your stress relief is, I think acknowledging that and knowing, okay, but that's not me. But then there's also situations where it can be sort of the keeping up with the Joneses, but with parenting with what is your family doing? What are you eating? Is it you know, how are you doing birthday parties? And it can be, I don't, sometimes I think you just have to step away from some of those relationships if it's getting too intense.
1: I agree. And I think even social media, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the um, like you said, the folks who like it and put the stuff up on Pinterest and whatnot, but when it comes across your feed and you just feel like a loser because mm-hmm. you didn't do the really cool, you know, um, gift for the teacher or whatever it is. Or, right. It just, I I think just as we teach our kids to resist peer pressure, we have to learn to resist peer pressure. Mm -hmm. Just as we teach our kids to get out of toxic relationships, we too have to be able to do that.
2: Right. That's what I'm sort of, I mean, that's where kids I think are helping me see some of, I think because you're put in different environments where you might have to push back a little bit more and, and, and not totally remove yourself, but just figure out how to handle it. And I've been trying to sort of tell the kids when things like that happen to me so that they can see how I'm working through it and, and the choices I'm making. And even if they're not always, you know, I'm not saying I do it just right, but just to show them the process that I'm going through to try to make that decision.
1: It's, it's really, really good. And I think even more important when you really mess up, right? Mm. Kids need to see that parents who look like they have it all together. And so the kids feel like, oh my gosh, I better have it all together too. Right. Parents make mistakes and to talk about that and to show that, you can bounce back from a mistake and that that's a sign of resilience. And we're seeing kids who really aren't resilient in Mm -hmm. school. So to really think through, you know, am I projecting an image of perfection or whatever it is, or or the need to be perfect or the type A busy all the time,
0: you know, how are,
1: everyone says, how are you? Oh, really busy. Mm -hmm. Really? Is that, is that what you want to, is that how you want to live your life? Is that how you want your kids to live your life? So that your kids then take on that same kind of feeling like well then I need to be busy too and and we have kids who don't know what to do with downtime mm-hmm. you know what would you do if you took your phone away and, and you could do anything for fun for an hour they, they look at you with this you know sort of blank stare
2: right no it's true and that's the thing I'm, I've been trying to have more conversations with other parents about well what because I think it's very easy sometimes to point the finger at the kids you know why are the kids yeah. giving us this blank stare when really we're a big part of this issue. We're the ones who are providing the devices. We're the ones who are putting on a show in the, I mean, the, the idea that there wouldn't be a TV in a car from when I was little is just baffling to my my kids, you know? And, um, road
1: road trips are a completely different thing. Yes. Yes. Right.
2: Aren't they? Yes. And it's easy to say, Oh, these kids that look what they expect. Well, they expect it because that's what we've provided, you know? And so it's tricky. Um, so anyway, well, is there anything else that you can think of that you wanted to talk about or that I did not ask you about.
1: Well, is your demographic younger parents, older parents, or everybody pre-K through college? Tell me
2: that? I'm not really sure, is my answer. <laughs> it's a hodgepodge of my family and people who love me, and, you know, so I'm not really sure exactly what the demographic is right now. Right now, the demographic is people who like me and are supporting yeah. me. Yeah, well, that's a good demographic. Yes, well, and, yes. and
1: hopefully we can have a copy of, you know... On our social media too. So that, would more, some, some, some that would be great you'll um, get some more audiences there I would say this I would say some of these habits start yet and if you have a preschooler and you are not building in time for what we call autonomy right because let her set the table well it's just easier faster and probably mm-hmm. less risky for me to set the table I think chores are really underlooked mm-hmm. and um, no, that's not the right word. I think people forget to <laughs> that, that chores are really important. Mm-hmm. And it makes the child not only feel, gives them a sense of independence, gives them a sense of autonomy, which is really, really important, all the way up. Mm-hmm. But also, you are a part of a unit, an unconditionally loved unit. And this is what you do. This is why we don't pay our kids for chores. Right. You know, this is... Someone at part of this family unit picks up their clothes and sets the table and helps with the dishes and helps fold the laundry. And that's just part of being part of a family. And kids, it turns out, really need to know that they're part of a unit Mm -hmm. and they're loved unconditionally and they're relied upon to make the unit work. Um, It turns out that that's a really important protective factor. And chores and family time and family dinners are ways to... um, to help get that feeling it's, it's there's nothing magical about the chicken at the dinner it's the feeling that you get that you're part of an unconditionally loved
2: I like that there was a earlier podcast episode that I did with um, Kirk Martin he founded something called celebrate calm have you heard of that oh, it's no. a it's basically he was a dad who had a very strong-willed kid and it reminds me a lot of the things you're saying about giving child a child purpose and how that can be calming to them that they feel like there's a role for them, and um, he he's he does a really good job of um, just talking about things that motivate kids. Like he was saying that you know if your kid is having a tr- hard time getting out the door in the morning for school, sometimes knowing that someone at school is counting on them for something, like hey I need you to get here five minutes early so you can help me set up because we count on you here, and okay. for whatever reason that's that's just very calming. I guess not for whatever reason, it's, we all want to feel valued and needed. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And I mean, we even talk about kids who are feeling like they don't want to persist in school. We talk about, um, um, you ask them what their favorite thing is and you ask them what they want to do in the future and you help connect that, right? It's, it's that feeling of, I matter. I have a purpose. Um, Brad Sachs again i'm just coming off of a conference where we just he was our keynote so okay. he basically asked his two questions when he, they come into his practice he's a clinician one is um you know what are the two most important days in your life and the first one they always say is the day they were born and then what's the second one and basically the second one is supposed to answer why you were born oh. right so purpose like why yeah. am i here yeah and if I don't feel loved or I don't feel like a part of something. Why am I here? What Mm -hmm. am I doing here? You know, that's a really big part of growing up is figuring out why you're here and what, what matters to you and what, you know, who are the people important to you and and who are the relationships that you want to sustain? Mm
2: -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. And it is, I mean, I'm just thinking of my own life and how, my kids do like to help, but how often I say, "No, no, I got this, I got this." You know, thinking about when I was teaching them to make the eggs, it makes a big right. mess, and I don't like a mess. You know, like oh, the butter dish is just trashed. <laughs> you know, mess. It's yeah.
1: Time. It's hard right. to relinquish control, especially for some of us who are kind of control freaks, mm-hmm. and, and you know, like. I, I, my mom used to say to me, do not remake her bed. Like my kid would make the bed and it would be so not how I would make the Mm -hmm. bed and not how I would want the room to look. And my mom would say, do not remake that bed. Yeah. Right. That is her doing her. You can teach her for next time how to smooth it out or whatnot. But, but you know, send that message of you are appreciating Mm -hmm. the hard work that they're putting in, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to try the effort that they're trying.
2: That might have to be your next book. Do Not yeah. Remake the Bed. Do I love that. That's bed. really good. Yeah. 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 The other book, I know we didn't mention um, the other book that you've written, Overloaded and Underprepared. I just wanted to put that out there in case people wanted another resource. <laughs> and that one yeah. is more, um, talks about this challenge success model. Is that correct? That's
1: right. Overloaded okay. and Underprepared um, walks you through the space, the S-P-A-C-E model that okay. we talked about. Mm-hmm. And gives... Actual case studies of real schools who have worked to try and make changes in each of those categories. Okay. You can call up those schools if you're an interested uh, educator, administrator, or even parent. You can read those case studies. Uh, making change is not easy, so this book is really a, kind of a guidebook for people who want to make changes at their schools for healthier and more engaged kids. Okay.
2: And what, just as a closing, what would you recommend to parents who? all of the things you're saying are resonating. What would you say is a good first step? Say you're not feeling like you can overhaul your school system or you can, you know, but what would you say? Where would you start? What would be a good first step?
1: Everybody can take steps at home, right? Mm -hmm. So a first step to me would be if you don't have rules around certain things to start putting rules into effect about bedtime or social media or chores or whatnot. And don't do it all at once, right? Start slow and have a good positive win maybe say we're going to start something called family dinners and we're going to try it once a week and everyone gets to decide you know each week a different person gets to pick what what they make or whatever help or help mom or dad make it or whatever so start small get some wins but you know you can take a look at our website and really look at some of the research and say okay i'm gonna we're gonna make one change this month and i'm gonna focus on x okay um and the other thing is if you are really worried about overload at your schools, or you don't think that the schools are um, um, thinking or reflecting on some of the issues that we hit today, you can, you know, casually mention to your school, oh, there's an organization called Child Success, or hey, I just read this book, overloaded, or, or um download one of the white papers, let's say the white paper on homework, and give it to a trusted teacher or someone who's not Mm -hmm. going to be insulted, Mm -hmm. because you're going to do it in such a respectful, sort of low-key way, and say, hey, you know, just start a dialogue around this if you have time.
2: I like that idea, too, because of taking a small step, because Uh I think some of the people that struggle with these things, like myself, we like to do things all at once, you know, like, there's an overhaul, we're going to do this, and I think... The small steps feel more manageable and feel like things that are um, not so overwhelming to take on. Right.
1: And then you start to get in the habit of it and it becomes where the kids are like, wait, it's we Wednesday night. Are we not having family dinner? Mm-hmm. Right. So, so the more you build it in, especially the sleep habits. I've, I've got two in college now and they sleep because mm-hmm. they know how important it is because they've done it all the way through.
2: Yeah, I like that. My mom used to always try to get me to sleep, and now it's like the only thing I want to do—not the only thing, but you
1: know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah, now you
2: know, I love love it. Things. Yes. <laughs> well, I thank you so much. I think the work you're doing is very important, and I I hope that the message continues to spread because I think it's it's really for the sake of our families and also for the sake of the kids and future generations where. I just I think part of what worries me is that I hate the idea of kids just becoming these robots that are able to do school, as you talked about. And I mean, we're all designed with our special gifts, and if we're not able to let those gifts breathe, they're not going to be able to come out. I guess is that if that makes sense.
1: No, absolutely. We're missing out on so many wonderful kids and talents and future uh, workers and citizens. And by really turning them off, mm-hmm. um, shutting that light out of their eyes, I mean, our kids are going to have to love learning because they're going to be in lots of different jobs. We can't even imagine the types of things our youngest kids are going to be doing out in the world. Right. The most important thing is, is that, well, the most important thing is they have to be healthy, right? Mm-hmm. They have to take care of themselves. They actually have one body and it has to last them their whole life. But the second most important thing is that they have to really be engaged and excited and curious because that's what's going to keep them going and have the positive coping skills they need to, to kind of get over those hard times and and as parents we have a lot to do with making that happen mm-hmm. um and that's why we prioritize all the things that we've talked about today
2: well i love it and i'm going to definitely be checking out your website and i'm going to try to take it in small pieces and not try to go whole hog all at once but i'm excited about your work so thank you so much for sharing all that you know and i will definitely send people your way for more information.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much, and Thank thanks for you all that you do.
2: So been. much. Talk to you soon. Let's keep in Take touch. Care. Okay. Bye. Okay.
1: bye.